how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. May is a French-American printmaker and ceramist currently residing in Paris, France. Her work touches on subjects such as sexuality and spirituality and uncomfortable things like shame and trauma. She's currently finishing her master's this year and hopefully publishing her book soon on Japanese rope bondage as a radical act of relational humanity. Welcome to Sober Sex May. So how are you today? I, I, we, we kind of did a debrief before and you said you were nervous, but other than a little bit nervous about recording <laughs> with your sober mothers, um, <laughs> how are you? What's going on? Um, I'm doing really good. I've just been like papier macheing my life away um, these days. So it's very relaxing and um, really enjoying that right now. So I've just demolded one of my first like masks from a series I'm doing this morning. And uh, it's looking good, so I'm excited. What's the oh. series? Um, I'm making like five masks of, I guess, like the characters that are in my drawings for the the show that I'm doing for my masters, which is going to be like a full kind of immersion thing, immersive mm. thing. <laughs> so people like like can wear the mask, and I'll be wearing the mask. So like it's kind of like there's no people don't have like their own identity, like. It's my drawings, kind of like what's real, what's not, kind of thing. It's kind of so like they're taking on their own kind of energy and personality in a way, and yeah, for themselves. And they're like fully going into the kind of world that I created in the space. Oh, that sounds so so exciting! So so excited for you, May. I love you so much. <laughs> I'm very proud. Um, but before we kind of get into more of the art stuff, like that's yeah. that's a big reason that we wanted to talk to you today because of it does how much have so much to do kind of with the discussion that mm-hmm. we have on the show around sobriety and sexuality and getting free from shame and like embodiment and like you're like the ideal number one favorite guest and also person um <laughs> but we, typically we kick off as you know as a listener <laughs> we yes. kick off the show um with you know a question about pronouns and as we're kind of pivoting into not only like what are your pronouns, but what is your experience of gender today? You know, because we like to keep it light <laughs> when we kick <laughs> up. The um, yeah, I'm going to try to like not go into like a rant. So like, please tell me. Oh, like, awesome. if I, I'm too ranty. Rant away. Like all of you guys' subjects are like my, like what I like to think about and search about all the time. So I get a bit intense, but um to answer your question, <laughs> um, I guess my pronouns, I'm comfortable with all of them. Um, and like when it comes to gender, it's and my experience of gender, it's kind of shifted over time between like uh, gender fluid and like non-binary. And like, but now I'm kind of just at a point where I'm like, I don't like the terms 
and I don't like that. Like, I don't want to focus on language so much anymore. And because I'm getting really into these, the more the like biological aspect of the whole like thing, like the scientific aspect behind it. And the more I like research on it, the more I'm like, okay, gender like literally doesn't exist. Like, can we just not talk about like like it's just i'm reading this amazing book right now um it's called um evolution's rainbow and it's it's really really good about like the queerness in nature and how Mm. the kind of status quo that we've created like in our like culture is really just like man-made and it's not like natural because nature is like all kinds of freaky you know and all kinds of genders and like all kinds of sexualities and like different like shifting things so i guess that's Fuck how i that. feel that's so <laughs> exciting ask more about that in terms of nature are there like insects that mm. um when they fuck they like change gender or something i mean mm-hmm. like the natural world is such a bloody you know like we all fail to look over to the natural world for really yeah. what's going on in alignment and yeah I this is a topic I'm very excited to talk more about even if we don't cover it in the podcast today mm. um this is something I would personally love to hear more about this book as well could you just tell us who the author is so then we can put that in the show notes for sure uh, <laughs> you're so good at show notes <laughs> let me <laughs> never <laughs> I am so bad at like remembering names don't worry it's, it's called evolution's rainbow evolution and it's by Joan Roughgarden. Oh my god, that's such a cool name. Yeah, that's a really good Hell name. Yes. How could I forget that? <laughs> Roughgarden. So awesome. Oh man. I mean, but that's like that's really exciting. I just I recently uh, listened to a very beautiful and affirming uh, podcast with River Butcher and Pete Holmes on on uh, You Made It Weird, and they were talking about kind of like the divine nature of uh, queerness and, and as, as like a trans masculine person, they were, it was really exciting to kind of hear how they found themselves like within God, even within kind of organized religion. And mm-hmm. the message bit was like really punk and was like, fuck you, this is for me. And it was really it was like, yeah. it was beautiful. Um, so if you're interested in this kind of subject, yeah. definitely check it out. Okay. Definitely want that reference. I should, I will, right, maybe we'll it. also put it in show notes if we ever do <laughs> <laughs> show notes. The elusive show notes. Oh, well, the if you're not in the show notes, chaotic. they're at the top of the show. You have two great yeah, ones. You just have to write it down. Those are your show notes. <laughs> um, May, you're in the middle of finishing up a really impressive master's, as we sort of talked about. And actually, we're speaking to you from your creative space right now, which I can see um, a massive garbage bin. Keeping the door shut. I feel like it's super powerful. It's got like, everyone, keep the fuck out. This is my creative space. Um, in one of Paris's most prestigious art schools. Can you tell us a bit more about your work? Um, uh, I'm so bad at talking about my work, but I have to like <laughs> try to practice, practice that before. Here's <laughs> yeah. your opportunity. Go. <laughs> I guess the show that I'm doing um, at the end of... Uh, this is next month and a half. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's soon for my master's is is a lot about like, well, it's kind of what I was talking about earlier. Like I created this kind of world inside of myself that's usually um, fed by lots of like 
because I'm a nerd, like books and resources and articles and like very like social political stuff, even though my work does not look social political. It's like colors and weird shapes. And, um, but um, it's kind of, I guess, I don't like using that word so much, but it's like the safe space that I create within myself. Mm-hmm. But it's not like a safe space where it's it's free of pain or free of because like I really do believe that I want to honor. I've always been very melancholic, and I want to honor like my melancholy. I want to honor my sadness and grief and difficult things, you know. And like because they've always been my greatest um, teachers and masters, like the difficulties in my life. So I don't want to like be safe from them. I want to you know be able to grow with them. And like, that's really what my work um, I'm trying to like show and that's what it's about. And and that kind of en- encompasses everything. It comes, it like talks about gender, spirituality, sexuality, um, trauma, and really all that. And my style is like very kind of like, I made a promise to myself when I was a little girl that um, I never wanted to fully grow up because I was afraid that if I fully grew up, I would lose my imagination and like the ability to create worlds and my, inside my mind and stories. And I guess that kind of just like, I've never been able to go back on that promise that I made myself. And that's why my drawings look like I'm a child. <laughs> like there's a naive kind of aspect to it. The, like the faces and the colors that can be kind of disturbing. But a huge maturity as well at the same mm. time. I feel like mm-hmm. you transcend that really well, that playfulness and naivety which you're talking about, but also like there's so much depth and it's like you just keep, it's like looking at the Rothko or something, you just keep looking <laughs> and you just get like fucking sucked in and in and in. It's so, I love it. I love your work. I'm a big fan. And I can't wait to own one of um, your <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm silently weeping because I'm so <laughs> fast we've been recording for all of nine minutes <laughs> oh what a what a gift no but seriously though like you know um I think now is the time to go into full disclosure mode and like you know talk about our, our personal relationship and then we can kind of circle back to this mm. like what we're actually talking about <laughs> um, but you know it's like what a privilege what a fucking incredible privilege to watch you become yourself you know and to to like not have that that the part that is like what I I you know not to you know ego boost you too hard but I think like that is genius and that is precious and that is unique and powerful and special I mean how much how uncomfortable do you have to be <laughs> getting all these compliments but um, <laughs> but you know that like it didn't get snuffed out you know with drinking and using and that like. Mm-hmm. I think Rose and I have uniquely been in the opportunity to watch that really blossom. And it's just like hearing you talk about it. Cause you don't like in our, you know, in our personal relationship, you mm. don't talk about that necessarily. Like, I don't think any of us really talk about our art. I mean, maybe I do because I'm a <laughs> dick, but like, but, but like, what a thing, like, it's so exciting to hear what you're working on and also to kind of see like how much hard work you put into getting this fucking degree, which kind of pivots us into this next question, which mm-hmm. is, we also know that you've been called, especially since you got sober to advocate against some pretty hardcore bullying within your school and your academic environment. So what was that like for you? And also kind of how did your recovery inform that process? Yeah, um, thanks. Um... 
Yeah, so I <clears throat> I was juggling the beginning of my sobriety with, oh yeah, COVID and the, everything that was happening at school. And it wasn't just like to me, that's also what was the trickiest part is like having to deal with like the whole kind of community aspect of it. Like it was a lot of people in my class and other years, um, just to give context, it was um, basically two teachers that were uh, being verbally and emotionally abusive to towards students and who created sort of like um, a hierarchy between the students in different sectors and different classes. And um, they, they basically like gave tools to the other students and not to others. And then they were bullying based on social class. So like your economic background on the color of your skin, on where you came from, on your sexuality, like, yeah, I was personally like um, sex shamed and uh, sh like fat shamed and also like lots of xenophobia against my weight. Uh, sorry, against um, my nationality because <laughs> I'm American. I had like no culture. And uh, even we'd have like exchange students who would come and they would like insult them in French. So all of us would understand, but like not the exchange students. I mean, it was like really, really horrible. And this had been going on for like, one of them had been there for 15 years. Um, it had been going on for a really long time. And it's not that no one had done anything about it in the past. It's just that, like, every time it was kind of just getting hidden by the administration. And um, we didn't really let that happen this time. Uh, we were There was three of us who really, like, were advocating against um, all the students. We did, like, a, a petition and everything. And it went all the way to, like, the Ministry of Culture and what happened in the end, it wasn't even that we actually managed to get anything done. It's like the teachers were so pissed off that they were like, okay, well, we don't want to teach you anymore. So they just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, they ouch. were just like pushed to another part of the school. Like they're still here. I still like see them. Um, yeah, which was really hard when I came back this year. But I did what I had to do so to protect the future um, people who are going to be in fourth year and fifth year and and also for for me to have like a nice year of my master's and like also just like it's crazy that these people are not trained to be teachers but it's just because they're artists and like semi-successful artists not to be salty um, <laughs> <laughs> that they get hired like oh you're but like it doesn't make you a good teacher because it's it's about pedagogy and ethics and like it's not because you're an artist that you're necessarily ethical like it doesn't make mm. sense right so that was the major problem and like the way it affected my work um well it really just like I kind of just closed upon myself I didn't want to show my work anymore this year was very hard in the beginning like I I didn't I didn't want to show my work to teachers I didn't want to talk to teachers and like it took me a lot of time to open up again um, it's still hard, actually, now. Um, and also, I, like, really want to leave this country. <laughs> um, because the art world in this country is is so... <clears throat> I mean, it feels very toxic to me. Because I don't fit in um, aesthetically or physically. Um, this country standards. being France. Yeah, France, yeah, sorry. Just to, just to clarify. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's always been embedded, this country, hasn't it? Yeah. The artistic scene in terms of, like... I mean, when you you start to sort of scratch the surface on some of the what are called the masters mm. or whatever, when you start to learn a bit about Picasso, and you realize oh, yeah. like I never want to fucking 
mm. ever go to a Picasso museum ever mm-hmm. again. Like, and you you realize that it's like, well, they're a great artist. So it's like mm. you get a fucking pass, and you know, it, it's never challenged. So I just want to say congratulations for even if it feels completely futile that you mm. did something that is essentially that no one else has been brave or had the courage to do and that may feel exhausting um and but you've given yourself a huge gift of this last year of your master's yeah. you can actually like work in some relative piece which artists yeah. need and I think it's yeah. like let's smash this goddamn whole thing about mm. like artists need to be fucked up and work in chaos <laughs> and then they produce and it's like mm, some pieces also necessary and so can I have that space to do my creation you know and so yay I'm glad you've got that now congrats yeah sobriety wise like that's the biggest thing that I learned um the the, this past year and eight months Um, (laughs) it's like um I really like lived on that belief of like l'artiste torturé you know the the Mm. spleen of like Baudelaire like I have to be like smoking so many cigarettes and like that my teeth are black and like fucking putting absinthe in my eyeballs or something crazy stuff and like chopping my ears off you know like to be a good and famous and talented artist and like I was so afraid that by getting sober and like and like dealing with my mental health stuff that I would like stop being like productive and stop having ideas but it's the opposite like I've never been so productive I've never had like uh, such a clear mind I just like everything is so much bloomed like my work I'm so happy when I work I'm not like crippled power yeah yeah energy I get to wake up at 8 a.m I mean who would have thought I didn't (laughs) I mean, and also to kind of have have you walked, have watched you walk through that struggle, mm-hmm. like that, what looked like kind of a spiritual battle, like as a sober mm-hmm. person and in a way that wasn't about like revenge, but in a way that it was about like advocating for your, your work and the work of your peers and like the rights of being able to be seen and treated like human beings within mm-hmm. an academic environment. I think, you know, that was really beautiful to kind of watch you step up to a plate that would have been easy to walk away from, you know, to be easy mm. to be like, fuck this. This is stupid. I hate these people. They're assholes as opposed to like, they're spiritually ill, but that doesn't mean that they get to treat me like this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's a hard fight to fight as you're getting sober as well. Oh my like, God, yeah. So, I mean, God, I, I mean... <laughs> I have a sponsor now who like talks about like advanced sobriety, right? But this is really advanced sobriety shit, and you're doing that in like the first year of like getting sober. I mean, mental, mental, mental. It was intense. Mental. <laughs> Woo! So now about sex as it pertains <laughs> to your creativity and your creative practice. So this is sober sex. So we often um, kick off with this question, which is. What are some of the first messages you received around sex and sexuality when you were growing up? Um, Um, I guess it wasn't the best stuff, Um, but it wasn't like the worst either. Like, I I mean, for me, I guess I imagine like a very like sort of strict um, thing, but it wasn't like my parents are, are... we're just like not really there so like I remember in in the I was born in the mid 90s and like we had these like books with because back then it was okay to 
have like drawings of naked kids in books and like they were talking about like where babies came from and like they're just like illustrations like but with like <laughs> naked kids pointing at their bellies and like you know like where do babies come from and then they would explain it um i don't and i guess i had that information like very young but i didn't have any of the rest except for like movies and like romance movies and romance books and i was like obsessed with romance when I was a kid, uh, I guess I still kind of am. And, <laughs> and like sex scenes in movies, but you don't really see what's happening. And like my parents would hide my eyes. And then, I mean, really where I discovered it was porn. I think like a lot of people in my generation, <laughs> that's, or I don't know if I, every, but online, uh, since the internet wasn't so, um, was a bit more chaotic back then. And <laughs> just a little bit, yeah. It's a tiny bit more chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> like I yeah, had access to porn like very young on the like the the family computer. I would sneak out in the night when everybody was asleep and like go and like look at stuff on the family computer. And actually this is a funny story, but I used to like get really bored with the videos. Like I wasn't like so huge on it because it was a bit boring. I actually would get like more aroused by like the sex scenes in movies because because you cared about the characters. Yeah. And there was, like, we love a narrative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we love a narrative. Why do they like each other? Yeah, <laughs> like that's what we want. Why? Yeah. <laughs> How did they mate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the build up and stuff like that's sexy, but the the porn videos like we're not we're a bit you know. And the so I used to read actually a lot of like um, sexy like writings that I would find on Literatica, the Literatica, if you yes, will. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And I would print them. And I'm like talking. I was like very young. I like started looking at this stuff very young. And I would like, like what's print, very young though? I'd say like maybe eleven. That feels a bit young. It does feel, de I mean, definitely like young to, I think, like get into this stuff, but also not so young that like that's abnormal for your interest in this stuff to be peaked at that age. Like, right. I feel like it's so much more accessible for young, like, uh, like boy children to be like, not, not for that to be yeah. weird, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think like where it felt a bit intense was that I was like reading kind of like hardcore stuff. <laughs> like hardcore lids never the videos but like the, the the literature stuff and i would print them out and i would make them into little books <laughs> like, i wish the artist may now i'm a bookmaker so i'm like this is where it all comes from and i used to hide them under like my my mattress and one day my mom found it oh, it was no. a disaster i lied I said what something. did you say I said my friend like forced me to read it and like <laughs> I hate it it's bad and oh. my mom was like why do you know about blowjobs and I was like <laughs> oh, so, I, yeah. I love that it's the story though just going into that and then yeah. you made these little booklets yeah. and you printed them out and you were like and now I'm making but it was like all this is your work is very erotic. Yeah, it? Like, yeah. Like, so much really talked about that. You wrote your creativity, but it's yeah. like, you know, and so it's all sort of, you can see how it sort of stems from there. And I feel like creativity yeah. and sexual, sexuality and intimacy are very kind of uniquely aligned, aren't they? In, yeah. In terms of artistry. Well, and do you feel yeah. like some of that 
I mean, clearly, like, as an outsider, I can see how that's informed your work. What? Do, how? What's your sort of thoughts on that? Well, I mean, like, definitely the bookmaking thing makes me laugh. And, like, I used to also draw these this is this is super funny but like i used to draw these little stick figured women and like because i also like really liked women like from a very young age like i knew that i was like i just liked women as well and um and i used to actually only watch lesbian porn when i was a kid um and like i used to draw these little stick figure women with their legs like open like laying and then like I just used to draw like a bunch of pubic hair on like on their like vagina area and like big boobs but like really just like stick people and I used to like masturbate to those stick people yes I'm creating my own porn I will be always a fruitful imagination with me but I mean also it's like duh I mean yeah like you're like a bookmaker you your work like in a lot of ways is about shame and sex Mm -hmm. and it's like it's so it's nice when there's like a very clear thread but then it's also like oh this is really useful like one can make a career out of this yeah (laughs) actually it's exactly what happened because like when I so my dream job when I was when I was a little girl but I didn't tell anyone that you know, I used to say just random stuff like I used to want to be like a spy or you know have a zoo. I don't know. Like, Wait, I like how you're like, like, like my my more realistic jobs were, <laughs> were being a spy and having a zoo. A spy that had a zoo. Oh my god, best cover be- up. No. Like best cover up. How did all these tigers get in here? <laughs> but like secretly i always wanted to do illustrations like porn illustrations oh like like always that's awesome because i always thought that it was the most intimate and like fascinating thing to to like tell myself that like a drawing that i invented something that i created out of nothing and like came from my mind like is going to turn someone on like that I don't even know like it might be on the other side of the world like they're reading a comic with like some sexy stuff in it and like I was like that's so cool that I can make something that will turn someone on and give them pleasure and then they'll feel relaxed like how amazing is that so altruistic always (laughs) (laughs) but that's beautiful though and I mean I do think that like you kind of put took that into the work that you're doing today but yeah but briefly like so how did it unfold from there like how did you kind of eventually start either exploring sexually or like Mm. I mean I know you're like it seems like would it be safe to say that you have kind of an atypical like sexual constellation now that you're not kind of fault that you're unwilling to fall into a category of like like heteronormative monogamous Mm. like that you've really created your own what you want your relationships to look like and so how did you kind of like how did how did that start um I guess like what the term I like to use these days is like relationship anarchist because like I'm also like politically an anarchist so I'm like yeah anarchist all the way yes (laughs) relationship anarchist but also like when you talk about anarchy I don't think you're using that lightly I think you like went to an anarchist high school at like (laughs) yeah from your story I'll tell it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah by anarchy for me like a lot of people they like confuse it with chaos but it's really not the same thing and <laughs> and like it's really just like there's no leader and there's no like number one like there's no hierarchy i mean like 
there can like we all of our desires and all of our consents and like everybody's vote counts and like that's that's really important to me in my relationships it's more like I guess sometimes people ask me like why and I'm like multi-amorous um I never know what to answer it's just like I don't know I just like have all this love to give and it feels unhealthy to me personally like for me to have to give it to just one person because then it they that one person like becomes like so like I'm so intense like I'm very intense when I get into like romances and a lot of the time it doesn't end up well because it's too much like it's too much for one person and um and also I desire other people and I like all different types of relationships whether they're sexual or not sexual like asexual romances and like um also i like all genders and like all people and so um so like to just kind of like ex have one experience feels just like it's not like whether it's enough or not enough it's just like it just doesn't feel like what i want to do hmm. so awesome <laughs> i mean i don't know i like when we had um uh Beleche on the show she was talking about this idea of um like be like being able to prioritize herself in a non-monogamous relationship and I thought that was a really beautiful way of like being in relationship to and I think it has a lot to do with you know boundaries and honoring one's own needs which I think especially as um, people who are socialized as female like it's easy to forget about all of that um mm -hmm. but I digress so like how how did how, when and how did drugs and alcohol enter the picture like right now we have a picture of young May who uh is dreams of becoming a porn illustrator <laughs> um and is already bookmaking but like how did that kind of how did it unfold and eventually like what what kind of got you into uh partaying Partying. Partying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, my crazy is so, my crazy, my story is so crazy. My crazy is so story. Um, <laughs> that's how insane it is. Um, well, as I mentioned before, I had kind of like absent parents, to say the least. And um, I'm French American, so I grew up part like partly in the beginning in the US and New York City and then we moved when I was nine to Thailand in Bangkok and like my dad didn't join up um so I just moved with my sister and my mother um my dad like just continued working on our business in New York his business and well it just kind of uh went south at that point because um my mother was just suddenly like had the role of a single mother in a country she didn't know where she didn't speak the language didn't know anyone and um with two small children and um she has issues like trauma and stuff that she hadn't dealt with and that situation already being difficult like it was even more difficult and she just was quite unstable and it kind of let left us to our own accord in a way um, I was like a pretty lonely kid. Um, I feel like I hear that a lot in the stories that uh, we hear in in, uh, in alcoholics is like 
um, just like never fit in and like, you know, didn't know how to socialize and all the classic stuff. And really, well, I started drinking um, when I was very small because my mom threw these huge parties at her house, um, I guess, to like, you know, fill the void of <laughs> the absent husband. And also because she's like a very social diva-esque kind of character, um, which is very fun. Um, and she doesn't have problems with like substances. So like it was chill for her. But little did she know, <laughs> her daughter, uh, who she taught how to make gin and tonics at like 11 years old, because uh, it was her favorite drink. Like I was just like kept, you know, had to taste if the gin and tonic was right and like had to taste every single one of them. And I was the bartender. So that was a lot of gin and tonics. Oh, and uh, it kind of just like, I realized that it made me social and like, not so awkward and not so self-conscious and yeah it was kind of like a revelation at that point and I started partying and hanging out with my older sister and her friends and going out drinking with them and get a fake ID and in Thailand like it's very easy to just like fall yeah. into that kind of lifestyle as a at a young age fake IDs and then clubbing there's clubs everywhere and um and then drugs got into the picture and I started like mostly um, weed. And yeah, I mean, like, because we're talking about sex and like, for me, sober sex is is one of the most like impactful thing that um, I've I've experienced yet, like in, in my sobriety is because I had never experienced sex, like sex with other people um, sober you know, because uh, since I started drinking and using so young and also put me in like some prickly situations where bad things happened with other people. Um, so like also drinking made me like really horny. <laughs> like really, really, really a lot. So I just like would end up having like a bunch of sex with random people and and like once I got sober, I was able to experience for the first time what it was like to actually be in my body during sex and not so, you know, outside of my body and, and actually feel stuff. And I got that experience also um, when I started doing BDSM. Um, was that a practice that you started prior to recovery? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the interesting thing with that is that um, through BDSM, I was like, I started controlling my drinking and using more because I I had to like be physically capable to do like BDSM, like mostly bondage. And um, and so to get like tied up and not put myself in, in like my life at risk, like I would have to be like, you know, sober in that moment at least. You know, I was hungover most of the time, but that was, you know, more acceptable than actually like um, on substances. And I got into a relationship with this guy who I was practicing at BDSM with, and I eventually became like addicted to him. Um, and so my using kind of doled down uh, during those years of that relationship. Um, and yeah, my like BDSM really helped me through that 
And I thought that after uh, he broke up with me and had an affair and that was a horrible story, but also like what led me to my sobriety was the break, that breakup. Cause I like went into a, what's it called? The, okay. no, the, Nose the dive. rock bottom. No. <laughs> rock bottom nosedive. <laughs> like skydiving, jumping off a <laughs> rock. Um, but yeah, I went to a nosedive rock bottom. Um, and after I found out that he was cheating on me and having an affair for like months and months and months with another woman that I introduced him to anyway. <laughs> and, um, and then that's how I like eventually was like, oh, this, this is not, this is, this is not working anymore. Like literally alcohol had no more effect and I still was doing it. And I was like, why? Am I still doing this thing? It's not giving me like the, the, the pleasure anymore. And it hasn't given me that pleasure in a really long time. And I can't stop. So did you feel that like that relationship ending was essentially sort of the trigger for you getting sober? Um, I do in the sense that like I it's it's hard to think about again now because it's scary but like I really do think that if if I hadn't gotten sober at that time like I probably wouldn't be here today um because it got so bad that if I had continued in that in in where I was at like I wouldn't be getting my masters I you know probably just wouldn't be alive at all so at a certain point like and I think that it was really like an act of a higher power that relieved me of act the actual effects of alcohol, which which I'm always ashamed kind of to say, where it's like, oh, I got sober because I was like, this thing is not working anymore. Like, I'm not getting a buzz. Right. Why am I still drinking this thing that makes me feel all bloated and gross and like just blackout after blackout? Like, it, I would just only would get blackouts all the time. I would I, I could drink like one glass and I would just blackout. So, but I wouldn't get like fun, fun feelings, you know, right. it stopped <laughs> working. It yes. very clearly stopped bloody working. And then yeah. from the point where you realized it stopped working to the point that led to you getting sober, mm. what did, what did, uh, what eventually was the kind of the final catalyst? Did somebody right. introduce you? Did, like what, how did you know about sobriety? I'm always really interested because right. every, because there's so many different forms of sobriety out there right yeah. now. And it really, I think so much is about like divine intervention. Yeah. Mine really came through um, hearing a friend, well, a close friend had passed who right. couldn't get 12 step, who wasn't interested in 12 step. Mm. And, and so that's how I knew about it. But it was something that had happened so far back. Yeah. It was like a boop. What was your kind of boop moment, yeah. I guess? Like, it, it's kind of funny. Um, there was a lot of different like boops. Um, <laughs> um, I had actually like saved a bunch of meetings on my phone in the um, addresses, like addresses for meetings, but like months and months and months before all of that happened. Like, yeah, like while, while I was still, in a blackout. <laughs> yeah. Like while I was still in my like toxic relationship. And so like, you were curious as you were kind of bottoming out, you were essentially well, researching. I knew I had a problem. Like I was like, you know, I I I knew something was up, and I you know I, I would always go like, oh, you know, to my friends like, oh, I'm such an alcoholic, but like I thought it was like a cool, funny joke. Yeah, I did the same. Uh, yeah, 
was like above course yeah lols you know like like it it's so it seems so absurd to say it like oh yeah i'm an alcoholic like i believed it but i didn't see that it was an actual disease like it's actually not great to like be active alcoholic you know chronic and fatal (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like while like you're sipping your things no um so so I had saved all these things but I always felt like um I wasn't bad enough to go to to call myself a real like to actually think I had a real problem like I I wasn't like living under a bridge or like you know chopping my arm off uh for drugs or you know just yeah the images that we see in movies and I really thought that no one would believe me Um, I was really afraid of what other people thought more um, than how I felt. And um, I have a friend who is in the 12 step and they introduced me because I mean, basically I knew that they were in the 12 step and I asked them one time about it. I was like, oh, well, like I've been interested in it, but I feel like um, I'm not bad enough to be in those rooms. Like I don't deserve like sobriety. Cause I still have both my arms and, <laughs> and like, they were like, look for the similarities and not the differences and that, and they were like, well, they're never, no one's ever going to judge you. Like no one cares. Like you don't need like proof or anything. And I was like, okay. And I went like a few days after for, or a week or something after, I think like the week after I went to a meeting and I remember I actually went to a so yeah, 12 step meeting, but that one was closed because of pandemic and I didn't know. And then I was like, if I don't go now, I'm never going to go. And I like ran on the other side of the city into like a different 12 step meeting. That's like not for alcohol, but for drugs. And like, I thought that I like, now that I went to that meeting, like I was stuck into like the drugs category and not the alcohol category. And so I was like, no, I can never leave. And like, I hated it so much. Like, oh, all Parisians. <laughs> not to be rude. I'm also Parisian, so it's fine. <laughs> but yeah. How did you start to like it? Um, well, I, the same friend was like, hey, come to this like English speaking, like, like alcohol oriented one. And I was like, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. Like, I'm a drug addict. And and then I went to the alcoholic meeting. And it was English speaking, which I'm a lot more comfortable with. Um, and then I loved it. And I was like, I mean, I saw both of you guys at that first meeting. And I was like four months sober and miserable, dr- like dry drunk. Like, so miserable. I hated everyone. I was so angry all the time. And, uh, and then I went to that meeting and... I mean, and then there was lockdown again, and then I just went to all the Zoom, English-speaking, like, alcohol 12-step meetings. And it was amazing. <laughs> Can you see the heart? The, like, my pupils have transformed into hearts, and they're, like, glowing. <laughs> it's, it looks like a filter, but it's not. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just, I, that was a, the, the meeting that you talk about. You were, we read the story about the lesbian yes. partner, right? Yeah. <laughs> my favorite best the story oh it is the best story I, I forget what it's called but there's a big book story about the les- a les- a gardener she's like an accountant or a lawyer or something and she's like actually i discovered in recovery that i love women and now i'm a gardener yes. <laughs> and like our number one champion mascot yeah so. <laughs> oh so wonderful 
Um, I mean, and I we have we have some kind of questions along that we've you know sent you along those lines because yeah. heads up, listeners or anybody who would like to be a guest on Sober Six, guests get consent over the questions they get asked, so we get just pre-screen. <laughs> um, but they can't think about the answers too hard because we switch it up like this. Um, ooh, 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 ooh. Uh, but this idea, like you, t- you talk briefly about like BDSM also being something mm. that was a kind of a powerful healer for you. Mm. Maybe not like the thing that got you sober, but something that was helpful mm. for your either relationship or like embodiment, or at least kind of trying to control your drinking. And like, yeah. I'm curious as to kind of either how that's shifted or your relationship with that practice has shifted in recovery. And also mm. like you're becoming a rope teacher like you are a rope teacher you're a great rope teacher having personally experienced that um so what's that been kind of like as like as a sober person and also can you just talk about um and name the kind of rope stuff that you do because I am complete I don't know anything about rope so I'm really (laughs) curious about sort of and I should imagine a lot of our listeners don't either um some of those those sort of terms yeah um i practice japanese rope bondage which is like called shibari or kimbaku and uh, which is a japanese word spread but now we everybody calls it that and um so that's the practice i started with my ex and um well when when um when i discovered that he had a secret life i thought that i would never do ropes again um because it was he's the one who made me discover it. I mean, who made me discover that I was so into it. And um, but actually, the opposite happened. Like I was, he was such a weight to like carry around. I had to drag him to classes and and like tell like because yes, they're they're classes and <laughs> and like I I would organize photo shoots because we would do photos and like. It was just so much work taking care of my practice and his practice at the same time. And like Mm. once he was finally out of the picture, like I was finally free to do what I wanted. And it kind of just like boosted me out into into my confidence as well. Like I I mean, I was still drinking when I started doing all this stuff, but um, it's definitely um, didn't feel the same. Like, I actually don't remember a lot of it, but I spent a lot of time at a rope dojo where I um, took a lot of rope classes. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't obviously um, um, higher drunk while I was tying, um, but I, afterwards. <laughs> and um, and I, like, really wanted to be part of the community. I found other rope partners that um, were doing ropes with me and kind of like discovered what it was like to be um tied up in a more I wouldn't say professional sense because like I wasn't um a professional model but people who these people were professional like are professional tires so it's it's a completely different experience of um getting tied up and it was it was wonderful and once I got sober I I got way more serious with tying um more than being tied I actually haven't been tied in a long time. I mostly tie now. And yeah, I was I was um, studying to become a rope teacher. I mean, I'm still a, a rope teacher freelance. Um, but I was working at a rope dojo where I was taking, like, um, doing serious courses to become a teacher there. I mean, that's, that's probably still in the cards. But right now in my master's, like, I kind of had to take a break from everything else that isn't my master's. 
<laughs> six weeks. <laughs> yes. And um and like I I mean it's incredible the we were talking about intimacy earlier and it's just like because I don't do you you don't have to do Japanese rope bondage like only sexually. That's what I love about about Shibari or Kimbaku is that like it it's it doesn't have to be sexual. It doesn't have to be um it, it, it can be whatever you want it to be because the structures of the ropes of the rope tying are so um like varied by styles of tying and can be like you can do full positions like very intricate kind of positions it can be like really um big harnesses where there's no pain or very little amount of pain like it really just depends on like whatever everybody consents to do like do they want to be in pain do they want to do more of a circus vibe do they like want like emotional torment or like sexy stuff like it, it's so varied and that's what i love about this practice Um, by the relationship that you have with the the pe person or people that you're you're tying with, so that's that's really kind of like what blew me away even more as as a as a tire, and like experiencing like nonverbal communication um, by like body language and using rope as like a way to communicate with someone is kind of mind blowing. Um, So that was, that's, I don't know what the, what was the question? <laughs> no, it was just kind of break it down for us. And that was a beautiful breakdown, just of kind of like, you know, <laughs> the art and science of Shibari um, and Kimaku. Like, it's like, really inspiring, actually, to hear you talk mm -hmm. about it. Because I do think like there is a kind of, I don't know, like, I, me I remember when I put it in a song, actually, the lyric, like, be easy in your harness. I heard it at an mm -hmm. AA meeting. And I think about that a lot. It's like, How to, how to create relationships with constraint, mm. you know, um, and like what that looks like in like both a human to human relationship, mm. but also like as a lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand that. Create relationships with constraint or without constraint? With, like, mm. like not, not constraint in the relationship, but like a relationship with the idea of constraint. Does that make sense? Like, no, can you, can you, break that you're down? not putting a box around the relationship. You're having a relationship with the box. Ooh, that's Does a that good one. Sense? It's like, to how do you relate to the idea that there are like restrictions in, that are reality? Right. I see. <laughs> you're Sorry. living like rather than sort of living with an idea of there being no constraints. Or mm -hmm. that constraints are like a bad thing. Yeah. Why you just learn to live with them or to have a different like how learn not how to live with it necessarily but like how to have a relationship that's mm. evolving with it, right? To like What great lesson for life like yeah, to learn to deal with the tempest. It's hot. <laughs> sexy. Yeah. It is sexy, but I think like to kind of go back to this idea of like the the erotic that it, as like a lived creative practice that doesn't necessarily have to be sexual. I think that this is such a powerful hmm. example of that. And I think it also bleeds into your other work, which like, you know, you've talked about bookmaking, you've talked about mask making and paper mache, but like you're also a ceramicist and you're also hmm. doing printmaking. Can you talk a little bit about like kind of what, like what the erotic means in your artwork and how maybe your recovery has informed that? Mm. Yeah. I mean, So like since I said earlier that I, I, I since a kid I wanted to be a uh, 
a uh, um, porn artist, porn, porn <laughs> illustrator. Um, I, I was always so ashamed of that, like, um, and so ashamed of my sexuality and like being queer. And also, like, I actually had this really interesting conversation with a person a couple of days ago where we talked about like coming in versus like coming out. Like how you come in, how do we, when and how do we come into ourselves, like with our sexuality? And like, that took me so long, or I mean, it, what felt like so long to me because, because I, w I was actively struggling with it, like actively fighting against like liking um, women and liking other genders and or the same gender or whatever. And like, and like liking yeah sm like liking being a masochist like i remember the day that i came in to the fact that i was a masochist and like said it in words like it was as difficult as the day where i admitted to myself and it said it in words that i was an alcoholic like it was devastating to me i was like like i felt like i had this like horrible like ailment like fuck i'm a masochist like Like, it's like, like, I can't control myself, but actually, like you said, like creating a relationship with the box, like with time now I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking masochist. Amazing. You it's know, <laughs> yeah. it's a relative amount of freedom that comes with that. Like, yeah. you, like this is fucking, I enjoy X amount of pain. Like, yeah, that's rather than fighting like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I like pain yes. like, and being in the shame box is being like, yeah. no, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> And exactly yeah. like in alcoholism where I was like, oh, you know, why is like my whole life <laughs> miserable? Mm. And like, why have I, my life is unmanageable. And like the moment where you're like, oh, I'm an alcoholic. And like, like, it's not fun all the time, but like, and same, like be having, you know, sexual fetishes is not fun all the time because it's harder to find partners. And like, you have to do a lot of communication. And it's like, sometimes it's a little annoying, but It's, it must it's, be annoying because yeah. you must have to be really upfront from the get-go. You can't just be yeah. like, oh, I'll see where this goes. It's like, FYI, yeah. I like being in pain. <laughs> not down to it, then you fuck off, basically. But also in a specific way. Yeah. 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 I need you to do. Yes. <laughs> I need you to do these specific things. Yeah. And if you're not down, like, bye. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, I found that to be so liberal. Like, I think probably because I discovered it, like, later in life and also, mm -hmm. like, Kind of, or got empowered in that space like later in life and like deeper into sobriety this idea was like oh my god like actually I can name my needs mm -hmm. and not settle for less because I know it won't and well it won't be a satisfying relationship and I will feel shame or I'll feel bad about myself so to like have this like new superpower of like oh no like if this can't if this it, it is an actual deal breaker you know mm -hmm. if, if this need can't be met because I, yeah. I want to value it and honor it but like without that key I can't that must have been such a hard like mm. frustrating space to live with yeah that. I mean it was oh. awkward in like my oh. my more vanilla relationships <laughs> where I was like oh do you want to like tie me up while we have sex and they're like what it's like do you want to <laughs> slap me in the face <laughs> <laughs> they're like no do you want me to no who said that what <laughs> and like, like trying to sell it you're like yeah. well it's kind of it's 
not actually that bad. Tell me about it. It looks fun. <laughs> it's like but if you do it with like really soft things, yeah. you're like, ah. Oh God, just like backpedal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then cordially hate them for like not knowing. <laughs> yeah. It's very frustrating. Yeah. But I mean, that was uh, the, that was the same experience that I had with my work, um, with the the wanting my work to be sexual, like sexually explicit, um, in my drawing, because I was so ashamed of my desires and so ashamed of my sexuality, like I couldn't put it into my work because I couldn't even speak about it. So it was like a it was a big ball of frustration, <laughs> and and then like eventually, actually. It started when I started school here um, in my first year, I made like a vow to myself. Like I put or set a rule like, OK, you can only do one like project because we have multiple projects. Like we had like, I don't know, five projects and we had one month and a half to complete each project. I mean, so I was like, OK, well, I will only do one project like per year. Or and then it and then it went to semester, like about <laughs> that like sex. quickly, yeah, <laughs> like that's linked to sexuality, and um and it 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 would never pass well. Like my teachers would make weird comments and then ask me really personal questions, even though my work was like not even very explicit. Like it was around rope bondage and around sexuality, but like it wasn't like pornographic at all, and um, I still got like censored by my teachers and like. It just like wasn't going very well, and then confinement happened. Uh oh! <laughs> and I was like, "Fuck it," you know. Like, and at this point, I'm in my third year of art school, and um, three and a half because it happened mid year. But like, and then I was like, "I'm alone," and all my teachers are like, you know, MIA um, in their like cabins in the, <laughs> the countryside, while I'm like locked in my like tiny flat with my cat and my boyfriend like cheating on me next door anyway so I was like fuck this and I drew whatever I wanted and it was so liberating because what happened is that not only I had I had so restricted my own identity in my work and in my life um because I thought that it would never be accepted and validated that like my way of drawing was was completely not me like the way I draw now, like it had had nothing to do with what I was doing before. I looked very academic. It looked very, I mean, I want to say flat, but, um, you know, it still like has some technical ability, but like it was mostly technical. There was no soul. There was no me inside of it. And then it kind of, I just exploded. Like I really just exploded. And, and like, I just drew one drawing every single day. And spent the whole day doing that one drawing. And it just all the colors and all all the shapes and everything went into it. And then I was like, I just, I just can't go back. And it wasn't just my drawing, it was about my identity, it was about my sexuality. And and then, you know, everything fell apart like simultaneously with with my partner and everything. And um and it it kind of like, even though I got deeper into my own like alcoholic despair. I did get more liberated um, as who I am today or who I was inside, who was like locked in that shame box, mm. you know? 
So, and also I was afraid of like my family would judge me, but then one day my, cause I made this drawing of a woman who is like crouching and her butt is like towards, you know, the person like us, the viewer, and there's a tree coming out of her anus and there's like a bunch of fruits in the shape of penises. And so she stumbled on that drawing. I love you so much, me. Unreal. <laughs> she stumbled on that drawing that I had put on Facebook, apparently. And, um, <laughs> which is like. Your mom? No, my aunt. Oh. Um, my parents, like, you know, whatever. But, like, I have, I have, like, I have a very small family. And, like, just my aunt and uncle are, like, you know, like, they live in Corsica and, like, a, they're very, you know, country type and, like, you know, they don't really know what I'm doing. And she's, I was, I love her a lot. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to see this stuff and they're going to judge me and they're not going to understand it. And she saw that drawing, but I hadn't known that she'd seen it. But one day she called me on the phone and she was like, May, I thought of you because I was snorkeling and I saw a giant penis made of rocks in the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> and she used like she used the word like dick in french she's like i saw a giant dick and i was like Like, what have you just said like i've never heard her curse in my life and she's like and i had to call you right away and tell you because i thought about you and i was like why would that make you think of me and she's like because i saw your drawing with the the penis tree and i was like oh my god and i was like i was like it's over like fuck it i have nothing stopping me anymore and then and then i just made like 15 ceramic dicks like i was like non-stop penises everywhere and now i'm in my vulva era so i'm like making a bunch of vulvas but that's how it happened oh fantastic Oh, oh my god, it's so beautiful to hear you talk about it, and then also, just you know, in our in our choice of where we got all got sober, mm. we have this idea of like spirituality, mm-hmm. and and then just to think about, <laughs> like you can see a higher power kind of meshing all this shit together, yeah, just being like, <laughs> and she's like, gonna get sober, dicks. <laughs> yeah, and then fifteen dicks, and then God yeah. was like, yes, yeah. <laughs> penises everywhere sober and fuck me it's Uh, like so clear and covid and yeah you know it's so it's like transparent to have that bird's eye view isn't it Mm, yeah what your your kind of world has looked like in these Mm. last couple of years so you co-hosted a conference on shame last year Mm -hmm. i didn't know about that can you tell us about it um so yeah in december actually so not that long ago um i Actually, it's so interesting because every time I was saying the word shame box, I'm like, oh, my, my shame was in a box. And like, and that's actually what the, the subject was. Um, we, I, I co-hosted it with, um, with a professor who I worked on my book with, who was the editor of my book. Actually, that's about rope bondage um, as a radical act of relational humanity. That's the title. I love you so much. <laughs> I'm just going to repeat that every like 45 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> coming out soon and hopefully in a sign me up <laughs> but um the so he we work together really really well and um and he he does conferences and his his subject um, as like joyful as it is is uh like the history of child maltreatment wow. so like he's been like yes 
like uh, working on that specifically for 20 years. And so he's part of this like the things called a shame network at the Sorbonne. So um, in the English speaking world. So it's an international conference at the Sorbonne in English. And he, in the, in the beginning, he just, he was like, Hey, do you want to like illustrate my paper with a uh, ceramic? Like, so that you can create like a tool. Cause he's a lot about like narration and telling stories and stuff like that. So he was like, well, do you want to like create a, a ob an object that will be used to like tell the story that I'm trying to talk about in this paper? And I was like, yes, of course. And so we thought about this like box that was broken and then re like refixed and um, out of ceramics and gold. And actually we talked so much about, because the whole object had to tell stories. Um, there was so much theory and, and like uh, philosophy around the creation of the box itself and what it would look like and the colors, everything. We worked on it for like months and months and months. And in the end, like, we we're talking so much um, about the theory that he was like, well, why don't you just do the paper with me as well? Like, let's do half-half. And, um, and we actually use the creation of the box itself and why you created that way as a way to illustrate, like, shame itself and the archives of shame. So that's what happened. And it was amazing. First conference. Um, and actually, I'm making a book. At the um, Silicon yeah. as well. Can we just take that one? <laughs> oh my God. Fancy. 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 <laughs> who were you talking to? Um, other, other, like, academics. Oh. They're shame experts. <laughs> like, like, literally oh, other Brene. shame people. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, obviously, Brene yes. was... <laughs> like quoted everywhere um but um yeah no other academic i mean it was open to everyone but like i don't think people like are super into going to like shame academia conferences that last like two days it's <laughs> so beautiful though because it sounds like not only was the object important and the paper important mm. but also like the process and that yeah. kind of like when it's that fucking holistic it's always like oh man like we're onto something mm, yeah wow. Yeah. I mean, do you do you kind of make any connections between? I mean, obviously, this is, this might be a kind of leading question, oops, but um, <laughs> like the idea of I'll answer it myself. <laughs> no, but this like the idea of kind of like obviously, I think a big part of recovery mm. is like recovering the part from the shame box, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the shame box, man. Like the idea of the box itself is that it's a box that can be opened, but mm. it was smashed and then re-glued back together, but it still can be opened and there's no windows and there's no doors. And it's basically talks about like the hidden archives of shame. And I think that that's like a really interesting um, way to, to think about it because like, I mean, alcoholism is like, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but like, it's such a shameful experience. Mm. You know, oh, God, yeah, and like shame is such an invisible feeling, and like it's just um, like I actually <laughs> shit, I forgot to tell you guys about this. I actually talk about the twelve step program in the shame paper because I talk about how um the 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 way to over to to recover from shame or at least to start recovering from shame 
is through um, community, is through talking about it with other people. And like my my most healing experience with shame is in the 12-step program, talking mm-hmm. to you guys, actually, specifically, um, specifically <laughs> about like the, the the horrible shit that I've done and gone through mm-hmm. and that I never told anyone because I was ashamed. Because shame is such a silencing emotion. Mm-hmm. It, it, it quiets us, you know? And like the moment that we start opening up that box and talking to each other and realizing that we're all in there together, like there's no more shame because shame is like so isolating mm-hmm. and you can't be ashamed if you're not isolated, you know? Mm. Like if we all feel it together, it like ceases to <laughs> exist, you know? Absolutely. I think it's really powerful we were speaking to that because, but the layers that mm. are embedded in shame. Yeah. I had this like epic breakthrough this morning. <laughs> I spoke to my sponsor and I realized like, um, I got, I had my last drink coming this coming up to 10 years this weekend and um I I kept taking benzos afterwards but and every year when it comes to this time I get weird Mm. more so than I do in the the the, and Lou it's also Louise's um soberversary coming up as well and um we we mentioned this also last week (laughs) just so you guys know it was his birthday birthday and last drink (laughs) my sober birthday your permission to get us gifts oh my god amazing sober sex on instagram i realized (laughs) that i found like really i just for the first time in ages i had a good cry about it Mm. because i'm so i just every year i just i'm like I need something. I I feel like I just want to come in with one of those whiteboard things and just go. It didn't happen. Oh. <laughs> it's like, and it's the whole reason my life is so fucking fantastic today is because it did happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, you can't. I'm still looking for the whiteboard marker. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To take to scratch that out and clean that off mm-hmm. because because there's some the shame is and that's 10 years fucking on that shame Mm. is so embedded in me I just want it to have not happened and Mm. like the loneliness of being trapped in that psych ward Mm -hmm. and and having nothing and having no one come to my fucking rescue I just I so want that to not be part of my history and yet the dichotomy of that having been part of my history is because I'm sat and I get to be sat here with you guys. So it's like so weird, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like the way we heal is through each other. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I s- I'm still like, I just want it to look perfect. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you don't you look know. perfect. <laughs> What'd you say? I'm so glad it's not perfect. Oh, well, like all of us, but that's, no, I feel like that. <laughs> you specifically no, everybody you. else needs everybody else it. whatever i don't care <laughs> except for also mate i mean no but do you guys relate like there's Yo. this idea yeah. it's like so i think that i'm over it i thought i even said to louisa a couple of weeks ago like oh i'm really over the perfect thing and you don't realize like how penetrative mm, it yes. is into every fiber of my being it's like if this just looked different and i oh. could be like you know, and because I'm quite vocal about my sobriety and my recovery mm-hmm. as well, I notice sometimes it infringes in places where I don't want it to. Like I was mm-hmm. just away last week and, you know, everyone's swapping Instagram handles and <laughs> I just wanted to not, they were all drinking, right, the entire mm. time. And I just didn't want, for a minute, I just wanted to be, I didn't want to have to be like, 
The advocate for sobriety. Because <laughs> I'm a fucking tired mum, yeah. for fuck's sake, you know, in my first year of being a mum. And, like, mm. I don't want to have to be, like, selling sobriety or what. Because mm. clearly everyone there has got a drinking problem and whatever. And I like, <laughs> don't want to have to fucking take it. And then people start asking me, like, oh, you work in addiction. You know about addiction. Oh, my ex is a fucking sex addict. And I'm just like, fuck's sake. I'm fucking tired. I haven't slept in eight months. Fuck off for a second. You know what I mean? And, you know, so there's this whole goddamn thing of like, yes, I can be out loud and proud and testimony to it. But like, I'm tired. And shame is like part of that weave of isolation, though. I'm sorry. I just took your moment on that. I felt profoundly moved hearing you share about that and I think what you talk about is really like it's real Rose like Mm -hmm. and and, I mean I I think for me because I got sober so young and it was like a sick party (laughs) (laughs) it was like immediately I was like oh fuck like everything I thought this was going to be it's not like this is actually the best um and like I'm not I'm not I like everybody it's so this is like the week leading up to my sober birthday so like 16 years ago like I just saw the photos that were taken I know (laughs) so 16 years ago like I saw the photos from Coachella of the Yeah Yeah Yeah's performing and it was like I was had so much FOMO in the moment and I was like I was like I will never have fun ever again it was my like I literally just got to rehab like as as I saw those photos like first week and like, I it just made me just be like, "Fuck!" Like, I'm so grateful how how wrong I was. Mm-hmm. Yes, like so what a beautiful wrong. thing. But to kind of speak to the shame part, like for me, the shame is really about like body stuff. Like, it's about mm. the food stuff. It's about how fucking weird I still am with food. Although I don't think I'm like necessarily behaving like a fully sick person anymore. Like for so long, like that's where it was. Especially like mm. having all of this recovery on this and the mm. drugs and alcohol side but still being totally fucking mentally ill and behaviorally nuts. And in Los Angeles, I think it was like kind of culturally supported Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, a little bit in Paris too. Yeah. But you know, Mm -hmm. but like, I do think like we all will have pockets of that. That's human. But like, what's that? That like shame is internal. Right. But Mm -hmm. then embarrassment is like what happens when it's kind of exposed, which is like terrible. Like it's a shame. I'm not going to show like embarrassment when it gets like other people see the thing that I'm ashamed of. And then guilt of like more topically, like I did a bad thing, you know, or I'm like weird and bad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, bad. But like, I think it's helpful that like to name the thing because it's, and what you were saying about that, um, the having, having to have a good cry about it, to have to like feel the grief around Mm -hmm. that shit. Cause like, I think so much of it is about unfelt, the unfelt, like I will just put it in the shame, in the shame box and then like not deal with it. And then I'll feel it forever. Is it like, Oh, this goes on a shelf with everything else and unpack it when I've got time. Or not even, I will just never go in that closet again. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When I have time, I'm just like, can you please like (laughs) shut the fuck up forever and stay in that horrible hole? You know, (laughs) not making time for that. I'm not making time for that ever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that like, if I feel the things around it, Mm. then it's it gets easier like i don't know shame like so visceral now i get really like like it's like an attack like do you guys get that like shame attacks yes (laughs) yeah and it's weird and it does keep me separate and i've noticed since becoming a mum and feeling so loopy with the lack of sleep i've lived 
and and hidden in my shame quite a lot. Like I haven't dared want to go to meetings for looking too messy, wow. you know, because I feel like um I've got nearly ten years. People in our community look up to me for whatever fucking stupid ass reason that is, but whatever. Like and then I can't. I feel as loopy as I did when I came in. I think one of the last meetings I really let go at was our home group, and mm. I just like cried and was like, I just need someone to come and empty the dishwasher, you know, because mm. it like it comes down to that on a day to day basis and. Mm. And I felt so vulnerable afterwards, especially when people coming through with like six months were like, hey, how can I help? And I was like, oh, God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> My That's friend's daughter is, is calling me and being like, how can I help? And I'm like, no, as if I didn't feel crazy. Anyway, long story <laughs> short, I don't want to like take this over. May one thing I really wanted to ask you. Yeah. In all of this, because I'm you just have a very... shame attack as it was happening. Yeah, and now I'm. <laughs> I'm changing directions of this conversation. And yes. now it's ended. Ended. Goodbye. Moving on. <laughs> I was like, Lightning this round. episode <laughs> is not about me processing my low current trauma. Um, so Why not? sliding doors. I've just got some really nice French windows. Ooh. They were like. And I'm shutting them on that closet. Oh, metaphorical <laughs> ones. <laughs> well, like, why are you changing directions that hard? <laughs> you two just got distracted by shiny things. Yeah. I was like, and you're like, oh. No, here's the question. Here's the question. How do you, May, take care of yourself, like, in being an advocate for all of these things? Because that's what I'm always curious about. When people are like, doing because you seem really fucking well right and like, you're <laughs> killing it and like how do you what does it look like in the day being may to like be be out loud and proud about all of those things advocate for your needs um create that work have people see you and then still be able to have a good old laugh about that because that because i think often what we see is products of our ourselves down the line of that but we don't see what goes in on a day-to-day of of that happening you know and what i think that could be quite interesting for people to hear about and especially i want to know what what do you do to take care of yourself uh i have no idea how i do it (laughs) i mean like i have a lot i still have a lot of shame we're just talking about that i'm opening your your new french sliding doors um (laughs) (laughs) going backwards to that um i i mean i don't know how to answer that because like i think that like Right now, I'm so focused. Like, I guess I get really focused. Um, uh, like, I, I have a goal, you know? And I, I'm very stubborn. Um, <laughs> Are you an Aries or a Taurus? I can't I'm an Aries. Fuck, did I just miss your birthday? <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, no, I texted you. you. I texted yeah, you. Yeah, you texted okay. me. I was like, Thank God. No, yeah. oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so wait, <laughs> can I just like say something? Louisa, you once told me that I was the most stubborn person you've ever met. Louisa is incredibly stubborn. So how the fuck? <laughs> maybe, I'm just maybe. putting that here. <laughs> I don't know what you me. were. I don't know what you were being stubborn. What were you? Do you remember what you were being stubborn about? I don't know everything. 
<laughs> everything all the time. Giving me pushback on some bullshit. I'm just like fucking man. <laughs> you're the most stubborn person I've ever met. That's incredible. So I can do you see think your stubbornness when you're being works stubborn and you're just like shut down. You're just like. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it works in your favor? Then are you saying that's how you kind of take care of yourself? I mean, like. Um, my yeah my <laughs> stubbornness like makes uh, I mean sometimes it's a bit too like ego um, I think thing of like shame of not being perfect and nah, nah, nah. and I get like very focused on like I'm not a quitter and like sometimes it's like very problematic like my not quitter like for example in relationships and stuff like even if a relationship is bad or stuff like that, I'm like, no, we're going to make this work. Even though this relationship sucks and like everyone's unhappy, like I'm not quitting on it. And like, I, I'm going to like, there's a word in French, like acharné, like I'm like, I'm going to fucking do it even if it like destroys me. So it doesn't always work in my favor. Sometimes it does. And I'm learning right now, like how to deal. Because like, for example, in my work, I mean, like, I've been working 12 hours a day, like, every day, five days a week, and I used to, like, not have weekends because I was working at, like, the rope um, place, and then that didn't work out because, like, they were like, listen, you're, like, very scatterbrained, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm working so hard. I was like, I can't physically do more, and they're like, yeah, but, like, you know, we need you to do more, so, and I was like, I can't, and it was bad. I took it, like, they were like, take a nap. yeah. They're like, we, they literally were the ones who were like, we don't feel like you can manage like your schoolwork, your sobriety, like working here like two to three times a week and like your relationships all at the same time. And I was like, what? You're so I like um, how you're shocked that I was like May is stubborn. Yeah, <laughs> May is the most stubborn ever. <laughs> I Love guess I, my the reason I brought it up, Louisa, is because I was like, I've been thinking about that like ever since you told me, and I was like, I don't understand like why you would say that, and now <laughs> I see it. And I like, That's so fucking funny. How dare you think such a thing? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so yes I'm I guess how do I take care of myself I mean I am so stubborn <laughs> oh there's those French windows uh, yeah how do you take care of yourself I go close to burnouts and then I try and stop before the burnout and like sleep a lot okay. and drink a lot of water and uh go to <laughs> It's 12 step program meetings and look really grumpy until I don't look grumpy anymore. And then like, it's a cycle all over again. Like I have nice. a lot of shame out of like, I get so like one mind tracked thing. I don't know what the word is. One track mind. Obsessive. Yeah. <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> like I will forget like to eat, to go to the bathroom, to like drink water, to have friends to go to meetings, you know, and take care of, like, my sobriety, I forget everything, and, like, and, and, and then, like, I feel so ashamed, because I'm, like, oh, no, you know, I forgot again, but I didn't really forget, because I still, like, know in my mind, but I'm, like, we all just cycle and do that, and then each time we just get a little wiser, and then, like, come back from it, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Lisa, you do exactly the same thing, 
Oh, <laughs> oh my God. See, the shame went away. I didn't Let's know that other people. You got it. Oh my God. I thought oh, yeah. it was like being a oh, bad yeah. story. Lose, like figuring it out now. Really? Oh, I get in fights with David, the therapist, about it. <laughs> We've talked about how it's over sex. Oh my God. Like, you have to live within the reality of like time and energy. I'm like, why? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Not happening. Um, how, and this might be kind of a nice pivot. So, like, you recently started taking people through the 12 steps as a oh. sponsor. Amazing. A fucking yes. miracle. We are so delighted. Un- <laughs> unreal. Um, how has this altered your recovery or, you know, kind of by necessity, your relationship with that rhythm? Um, <laughs> Am I trying to make you help you make a connection here? <laughs> <laughs> this is too finger waggy to keep in the podcast. We too shall see. Finger waggy. <laughs> um so in the beginning it was like amazing and I was like on this like pink cloud of being a sponsor and like my sponsee was perfect and like woo and then like she relapsed and then it wasn't perfect and then it was like kind of a disaster but she's back now but it's just very it's very hard um because um because we care about people and like we know what it's like um to be in that horribleness of like the beginning of sobriety and um and so like i guess it's 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 amazing and such a gift to be able to walk through that with like with somebody who's like willing and everything um and it's also like such a big challenge um because it also reminds me of like my own sobriety, my own imperfection that I'm not responsible and, uh, and I can't control people and you know, all that. Mm. So it's, it's, it's actually like, I understand why we do it in, in the 12 step program, like being a sponsor, because it's, it's changed my own experience, like of sobriety as well. Like so much um, in the sense, especially that like, when we reread the book and all that, like I get these, like, I realize things because the last time I read from the beginning was when I was doing the steps. So now I'm like, Oh, like I hear and experience this so differently now. Mm -hmm. And like, when she asks me questions, I have the answers. And that's like, not even like about ego or anything. I'm just like, Oh shit. Like I've learned so much and I can help this other person And I remember being so afraid of like not having the answers when I first started being a sponsor. And I was like, oh, wait, but like, I've literally been through this. Like, so it's, it's like in me, even if I don't like think about it, you know what I mean? That's so beautiful. And I'm so grateful that you made it to like that part of the experience. Cause I think a lot of people don't, you know? Yeah. And I knew you, I fucking knew you'd be good at it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was right. Uh, I love being right. Um, <laughs> so we could definitely talk forever, like forever, yes. because you are basically like a well of the things we like to talk about on the show. Also, our favorite person. Um, but we shall proceed to the lightning round. Um, so to wrap up in a joyful manner, uh, describe a perfect day for us. So I was I, when you guys sent me the the thing, I was wondering, like, is it if an imaginary perfect day or does it have to be like a realistic perfect day you can be fucking imaginary go off okay because like my my ideal day in life 
if I could do whatever. Like, I think I would like to be living in like a house in the woods and probably on top or underneath, like near mountains, whether it's on the mountain or under. And I think I would just like to have like an early morning, you know, wake up like it's it's like autumn. The birds are singing, you know, there's like that autumn sunrise, which is so like goldeny orange. And like I have cats and dogs and maybe like a pig and sheep and probably horses as well. Basically a farm. <laughs> this is your zoo. <laughs> this is my zoo. I'm also I'm a spy. <laughs> But I'm also drawing like say like porn comic books. <clears throat> no, but like yeah, I would wake up and um and with all like run by animals and nature and like just the sounds of animals and nature and um have some coffee, you know, hopefully there'll be a loved one or multiple loved ones and have cuddles and kisses because those are like my favorite things in the world. And um and then do some work, like have my own little like you know, workshop where there's printmaking stuff, there's ceramic stuff, just like papier-mâché stuff, listen to some music, drink coffee, like do some work, maybe like have lunch, go for a horse ride, you know, like just like I just want a chill life. This is like the most wholesome thing I've ever heard. (laughs) It's so good. I love it so much. It's like my ultimate dream. (laughs) Fantastic. What a beautiful, perfect day. Thank you for giving us the snapshot. I I encourage you to come visit us in the middle of nowhere. It's almost like that, but no forest. But there's a horse. (laughs) There's a horse. Oh, my God. And there's Riot. And there's Riot. Riot is... Wait, May is perhaps... (laughs) Riot's number one person. It's true. <laughs> I saw her yesterday and it just made my day. I think you made hers too. And then she had like a meltdown on the fucking Metro. Anyway, oh no. Doug does not appreciate the Metro. <laughs> what is your favorite meal? I, I know that um, uh, making food for people is your love language. So what is your favorite meal to cook? And then also Ooh. what is your favorite meal to eat? Ooh, um, I love multiple things to cook. I love baking and I love like cooking meals. So um, my all-time classic is chocolate chip cookies. I've been making them since I'm a little girl, and they're really kind of my good. specialty. They're kind of, it's like they're kind of fucked up good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, like I don't do I don't really do sugar because it fucks up my brain too much. But like we kept yours post uh, post birthday. Oh my god, the vegan ones. Yeah. If anybody wants to make a great friend. <laughs> I would say befriend Mayfer, among other things, amazing cookies. What is your favorite meal to eat? Um, wait, just like quick thing about the cookies. Actually, that's how I made friends when I was a kid. I would bribe them with my chocolate chip cookies. So yeah. just saying, I mean, I, it works. I, like, I don't blame them. It's like <laughs> it works, really. And then they wound up not only full of chocolate chip cookies, but also with a wonderful friend. Aww. Aww. <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> bedtime story yeah <laughs> very wholesome uh, yeah over sex yeah um, um and to eat is ramen ramen like cool vegetarian ramen i i also make like um vegan mushroom uh, miso ramen That's and it's good. the bomb and i love eating it and i love making it and just like ramen is the bomb that's it that's beautiful. That sounds really good. I'm very hungry right now. So yeah, me too. Wow. Now I'm like, uh, <laughs> need snack. <laughs> um, what to pivot? What turns you on? Ooh, oh yeah, dynamics. Like, 
I don't care so much about what people look like, what's in their pants, like whatever. Like I really care about like sexual dynamics, like everything that has to do with like domination and submission and whether it's like very dominant, very submissive or like a tiny bit and just like kind of playful, like flirty vibes. Like I'm down. Like that's what turns me on the most. That's is, hot. Yeah, it's hot. And how do you identify in that, in that, on which side? I'm Are like you a D type or an S S type or whatever. I'm like a massive switch, um, but yeah, no, I'm a massive switch. I love everything. That's awesome. What a fun <laughs> life. <laughs> I'm not getting any right now, so just to say, <laughs> you have six weeks left to your masters. That's true. Focus, kid. <laughs> um, what is the last TV show or book you binged? <gasps> last night. I finished Circe by Madeline Miller. Amazing. Is it, is it uh, on the fantasy tip that you were talking about? Yes. I mean, oh. it's it's like Greek mythology. Yeah. But like okay. there's dragons, so it's fantasy. Love. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> yes. Immediately. So good. Uh, I'll have to, I, I might have it. Our pretend show notes, I'll put that in because I want to read it. <laughs> yeah, I will text you. Like, it's fine. You will have all the info. <laughs> yes. Um, you actually, I think you might've already mentioned it. Like, I think I'm I did. Yeah. <laughs> for your listeners, like my, I only read for pleasure and I only, that's not true, but my, <laughs> the only books I get pleasure out of are like basically young adult fantasy. <laughs> it's the best genre. The best. It's just, I mean, it's like hands down number one genre. It's anyway. the one. <laughs> <laughs> what song pumps you up? Ooh, um, children by Billy Porter. Children by Billy Porter. And yeah. Finally, my love. What do you love? What do I love? Mm-hmm. I love you. I love, <laughs> I love Rose. I love Riot. I love love. I love food. I love art and cuddles and kisses and sex. I don't know. I love everything. Like uh, horses, um, trees, like <laughs> snails. I love snails. Not to eat, but like to, they're just cute. And they're cool, like uh, reading, music, movies. I don't know everything. Yo, it's so fun that like after <laughs> those, like when we get people kind of like lubed up after a long conversation. Like, what the question? What do you love? Which is our, our yeah. you know, token final question. Yeah, <laughs> it's like people are like it's like a gratitude list for eternity. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the fucking best. It makes me, it's like the highlight of my week. Anyway. May, you are the most delightful human being on the face of the earth. I love you so much. Thank you for being part of this. It's a a true gift to know you. And like, congratulations and good luck on finishing your masters. Thank you. I love you so, 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 so much. And I'm so grateful to both of you guys for my sobriety and everything.